It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Kyle Krabs here, host of Locked On NFL Scouting. Join Joe Marino and me every day as we provide position-by-position analysis of the upcoming NFL Draft. Check out the Locked On NFL Scouting podcast with the Draft Dudes on YouTube or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. It is the Lockdown Bengals Podcast with your hosts Joe Goodberry and Jake Lisko. Find us on Twitter at Joe Goodberry and at Jake underscore NFL. Please like, subscribe, and share as we try to grow this community and pump out daily Bengals content just for you. Bengals fans and welcome to another episode of the Lockdown Bengals podcast. Today we will be talking about quarterbacks and running backs in addition to breaking down the contracts for Tyler Eifert and John Miller. Before we get into that I need to tell you about a new podcast app that's out there called the Himalaya app. It's a great way to get into podcasts. It is dedicated to podcasts and if you like podcasts or listening to this one It's a great way to expand your horizons in that world, and the Lockdown Bengals podcast is on that app. So while you're checking out your smart device, you know, telling your smart device to play podcast Lockdown Bengals, try the Himalaya app out as well. We are always going to be available on Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, etc., but try out Himalaya and see if you like it. That being said... Let's take a look at the contracts for a couple guys here. Uh, Vontez Perfect did sign that deal with the Raiders yesterday. The Raiders play the Bengals next year. Uh, the narrative gets to follow us until then is my reaction to this. He's back in Paul Gunther's defense. This is the most obvious landing spot for him. We talked about that. He might rebound. He might play with a chip on his shoulder. I don't really care about any of those things. What's important to me is that hard, hard knocks is in Oakland this year. Is it? Is that confirmed or that means you want it to be? No, yeah, that's what that's what I want. Yeah, that'd be cool. I'd watch that. Even though, I'll be honest, I don't think I've watched Hard Knocks in a few seasons now. Uh, it was really awesome for the Bengals, but that's neither here or there. But whoever, wherever it lands on, I think the Raiders would be interesting. George Iloka also visiting the Raiders today as Paul Gunther tries to get the band back together. They should sign Derek Westenard also. I think it'd be a good fit for him. Get all three. Because they had Leon Hall last year, didn't they? Were they the ones? Or was that the 49ers? Yeah, no, it was them. Because John Gruden kept signing guys that were like 35. Yeah, they have Reggie Nelson too, don't they? I don't think they do anymore. 
Is Nelson a free agent? We got to go get him. Is he still in the NFL? Sure. He played last year. Reggie Nelson is not coming back to the Cincinnati Bengals. Tyler Eifert, however, is. He obviously resigned. We talked about this. This was last week, but we have his contract details. His cap hit for 2019 is only $3 million. There's a $500,000 workout bonus and a per game roster bonus worth up to $1.3 million. So the total value, if Tyler Eifert gets 100% of this deal, is $4 million, which is less than he was paid last year, which also steal. had a significant per-game roster bonus that he didn't get paid all of. Obviously, yeah, because he only played, what, five games? So, right. I mean, him getting injured again, I thought he'd get this pretty much the same deal as last year. It's amazing he got less than that. I thought there was more concern last year that he'd ever recover and be the guy we thought he was with coming from back and ankle stuff because – he didn't move well the the previous year to that. So in 2017, even in 2016, he didn't look right. Uh, but 17, he was a shell of himself. So I thought he, there would be no market out there last year and that what he showed in the five games should help him. Instead, it was the complete opposite. Obviously, the market was even drier for him than he expected. Yeah, it must have been. He is at a $1.6 million lower cap figure for this year. And like you said, there must not have been a huge market for him. And I just feel bad for Tyler Eifert because for a guy of his talent level, you look at yeah. his career earnings for, for a first-round pick this deep into his career, $21.8 million is a lot of money. And Tyler Eifert's going to be fine. But you compare him to other guys that are you know the same talent level as him. and He could be injuries. in the 50, $60 oh, yeah. million. Injuries have and, deprived him of a lot of money. And the Bengals have a lot of entertainment, you know, a yeah. lot of production. And wins, right. A lot of the last few years would have gone differently had the Bengals had Eifert. Yeah, he's he's an obvious difference maker. We've talked about it a lot. John Miller's contract is also available, and the details are public. His $5.3 million cap hit for 2019 comes in just behind Clint Bowling's. The deal guarantees $6.5 million in total at signing, including a $4 million prorated signing bonus and a $2.5 million roster bonus in 2019. So that's where the cap number comes from for 2019. The base salary, I think, is just $900,000. He has $1.5 million of per-game bonuses and $900,000 in workout bonuses over the life of the contract as well. There is a potential out in 2020, if they designate him as a post-June 1st cut, they could save $4.2 million against the cap. But that, the Bengals have a mixed record on willingness to do. If they cut him before June 1st, it's like a $2.5 million savings. Uh, so he looks like he's the starting right guard for at least the next two years. And yeah. there's another out in 2021 to save $4.7 million against the cap with a pretty small dead money hit. But the next two years, it looks like it's going to be John Miller there. It's funny because when we looked at free agency, I didn't envision them signing a guard. And I think a lot of that was because we felt of the guys on the roster, they could figure out that position. And we, I think we felt that way last year, too. And it ended up being Alex Redman, and we know how that story went. But uh, they attacked it this year. And I wouldn't say they went out and got a big-name guy, but they got someone who's still young, who has had some success they're hoping this change of scenery and the fit works out because they are paying him and they're paying him like Clint Bowling. These are the two starting guards. They are not going to, 
I'd be surprised if they drafted an interior offensive lineman at all with the depth they have at that spot. That may be one of the deepest spots they have now. I wouldn't say they have a top-flight guy otherwise uh, outside of Clint Bowling, but with Trey Hopkins being able to back up all position, Alex Redmond now having a full year of starting experience, and we all still want to see Christian Westerman play, they are set at the interior of the offensive line. And Jeff Hobson today in his mailbag wrote that they're committed to Billy Price at center. Hopkins is their mega utility backup because he can, like you said, play all five spots on the line. And we have the backup guards that have started or we want to see start. So Hopkins is probably even the swing tackle at this point as they sit today. yeah. Yeah, because they don't have anybody and he can do it. He played tackle at Texas, so it's not out of the realm. And he's played it in preseason also. So, uh, yeah, right now. Hopkins is there, and that's why he's getting $3 million. They spent a lot of money on the offensive line in this free agency period, and and it's arguable to say if they got much better at all. And and we'll have to see, right? The the way they get better is Billy Price takes a year two step, and right. John Miller is, you know, above average, right? That's, and Cordy Glenn stays healthy, too. Cordy Glenn stays healthy, and, you know, the Bengals – Seem to be insisting the company line is there's something there with Bobby Hart. So we'll see if there's something there with Bobby Hart. He's still young. I mean, you can say that for him. And I don't know, Jim Turner sees something he likes. So Jim Turner, here's your time to shine, bud. All right. (laughs) So after the Vontez Burfitt cut and these contracts are included, the team is around 28 or $29 million in the top 51 cap space, which is the cap figure that num the cap figure number that matters. Uh, This includes our top 51 total contract commitments and then any prorated signing bonuses for players beyond the top 51. We'll talk more about the cap with a guest we'll have coming on in the future, but that's the basics. In the last four years, though, the Bengals have averaged operating about $12 million under that top 51 cap. And so if that's what they're going to be around this year, which is 9 to 14 is the range, I think, in the last few years, they're going to allocate 8 or $9 million for rookie deals. That means that there's probably actually another 8 to $10 million that they could spend in free agency or on extensions or whatever if they so chose and still have that $10 million of buffer space and rollover money, whatever it's going to be. Yeah, so they're in good shape, basically, as they always are, you know, in terms of they're not maximizing it at the same time, but they're also in no danger of cap space, and they can pretty much do whatever they feel at this point. Yeah, they're never going to take on cap penalties. They're never going to get themselves into positions like the Cowboys or the Saints where they might lose cap space in the future or be penalized draft picks that is not the Bengals way we'll talk a lot more about the cap yeah in another day that's just a summary of where they are after these two deals came in and we got the details on them without further ado let's jump into running backs and then we'll get to quarterbacks after we take a break later the running back position is effectively essentially a two-player unit right now that you can count on and that's Joe Mixon and Giovanni Bernard Trailing out, uh, rounding out the roster, Mark Walton is technically still a Bengal. It remains to be seen whether he will be in the future. And former quarterback Quentin Flowers is signed through 2020 at a you know minimum deal. He was technically signed as a street free agent, so he's he's there to round out the roster. Yep, in terms and. Of- it- I was just going to say it could be a strength of the team, even though I still think it's a need in terms of depth. And we've done this when we've done our mock draft Mondays. We've always 
considered running back at least for the third spot and future spot because of Giovanni Bernard's age, mileage, and contract expiring in the near future. Right, exactly. And Gio's contract is a majority of the Bengals spending at this position. And then they'll have a decision about whether they want to extend Joe Mixon coming up in the near future because he's making, you know, second round player money. He's under contract through 2020, making less than $2 million a year. And he's obviously the star of the backfield. Gio is earning $4.5 million against the cap, which is a vast majority of the $7.2 million the Bengals are spending at the position. They come in right at the middle of the pack in terms of where they spend on running back, literally 16th in the NFL right now in 2019. They were in the middle of the pack in 2018 as well. So Joe Mixon's the number one guy. He can do it all, really. 23 years old. Yeah, 23, young guy. Joe, tell us tell us your thoughts about Joe Mixon. We've talked about him a bit as we've yeah. talked about the transition to the Zach Taylor offense. Because I'm already starting to think about that transition and how it's going to make him, I, I believe it's going to make him look much, much better and more effective. I mean, that wide zone scheme that we should all expect to come is going to fit Joe Mixon. Uh, a lot of the play action and uh, jet sweep and things they, do, they did with the Rams should help open up the backside cut for, for Mixon, which he is great at get him downhill, get him up to speed. So I think running-wise, we should expect to see Joe Mixon's best year as long as he stays healthy. That is one thing we should also worry about, too, because a lot of people, even last year, they say, well, Mixon should be carrying the load. Mixon should be getting 25 touches a game or 25 carries a game, which is kind of unrealistic. And, and, a, per, and a touch per uh, game average, Joe Mixon was a top five in, in the league back. So he got the ball a lot, and you have to go back and look at Oklahoma and his, already now his early years in Cincinnati. He has never carried the load, not even in college. He had Samaj P. Ryan that was also a decently high draft pick, and I think fourth round or whatever, for, to the Redskins. But he and P. Ryan split at 50-50 in terms of carries. I think the most he ever had in college was about 160 or 170. Uh, I'm going off memory here, but I think that's pretty accurate. So he's never really had a full load, and we saw him break down a bit last year a couple times. And I would still say the backup running back is still important, and that's why Giovanni Bernard is still on this roster for more than one reason, not just to take the durability uh, issues and concerns off of Mixon, but Gio is still a better pass protector right now. And I know we're trying to talk about Mixon, but this is a, a, a weakness of Mixon still, that he is not a great pass protector. And because of it, we are not able to see the full value of him as a pass receiver, which he is very, very good at. And honestly, maybe one of his top three strengths in his game, in my opinion, coming out of the draft, it was uh, Christian McCaffrey and Joe Mixon, the two best receiving backs in that draft. And instead, we've seen him come in behind Kareem Hunt, behind Alvin Kamara, and obviously behind McCaffrey, who's getting 100 catches, it seems like now, it's, you know, in the early part of his career. So uh, we can get Mixon to that level. And the Bengals should be able to get Mixon much more involved in the passing game. You look at Todd Gurley's production under Jeff Fisher to when he went with Sean McVay in that offense and receiving was the big jump for Todd Gurley and and while he was a better runner too but the receiving production is really what can spark this offense and take it to another level and for me personally that's what I hope Joe Mixon gets to do and and hope they use him that way but at the same time as soon as he does because you you mentioned the contract and that's something you have to worry about with running backs do you want to pay a running back when you can get what Joe Mixon has given the Bengals in the first two years you can get and another second round pick very easily it happens all the time but if you get him to the point of being a superstar where he's receiving running scoring I mean Todd Gurley type production 
then you pay him and and you figure it out afterwards. But as of current right now, he needs to add that portion of, to his game before I feel comfortable um, counting on him for the extended future. And the only Bengal running back I can even remember in the recent future who's gotten a second deal is Gio. Right. Yeah. Like I, I Cedric Benson obviously was a free agent. He didn't get any money, extra money. Jeremy Hill didn't come back. It had Rudy, to be Rudy Johnson. Did, because did he, he get probably, a second deal? He had to have because he was. it was already year two or three for him when he started, yeah. and then he ended up playing a few more years. Okay, that makes sense. He, he probably didn't cost that much because of that either. I, I You know what? I'm going to go off memory and bet it was three years, $15 million. I want you to look it up and see how close I was. But the next guy on the list is Giovanni well, Bernard. Hold on. Talk Let's about. talk about that pass blocking figure because I pulled out the stats on it while you were talking about it. Okay, great. What do you got? Joe Mixon had 44 pass blocking snaps in 2018 to Giovanni Bernard's 48 pass blocking snaps. Gio gave up three pressures on four more snaps, and Joe Mixon gave up eight, including a sack and three hits. Right. So the, the numbers by Pro Football Focus kind of bear out the idea that Mixon is still shaky as a pass protector, even though he's bigger than Gio. Yeah, it's mental. Uh, you got to want to, and it's got to be knowing where the blitz pickups are coming. Mm-hmm. And you can see you can see it on tape pretty clearly. I remember a couple plays last year where Mixon just d- looks lost a little yeah. bit in pass. He whiffed. And that wasn't ideal when you have a rookie center also. That's a lot of their issues up the middle. And it's honestly, this has happened since Russell Bodine was there because he was never good with those stunts and twists also. But having a rookie center and then a back that, that isn't as good as Gio and picking up the blitz – um, gave them some issues up the middle. And I was going to say also, if you look at that, now I may be uh, remembering incorrectly, but looking at how many snaps there are on the field also in pass plays, so routes run versus blocking and blocking versus routes run, I think Gio was out there much more when he was healthy and playing uh, in the passing game. And that makes sense of why we always say, well, why isn't Joe Mixon getting more um, targets? And it's because you have to pass block first and foremost. Yeah, they both missed time. Giovanni Bernard in his 12 games had 211 snaps on passing plays, and Joe Mixon had 292 in 14 games. So two more games, 80 more snaps. Yep. And you can, when you consider how many, I mean, like that means Gio's snaps were like 60% pass plays, right? Or at least more. And while Mixon's was more um, lean, lent towards leaning towards running. Yeah, Gio, sorry, this this is only pass route. So Gio had 250, 260 pass plays, including 48 pass blocking plays. Joe Mixon's at like 330. Joe Mixon, mm-hmm. of course, had 242 carries. Giovanni Bernard was out there for 59 running plays. So exactly. the vast majority of Gio's snaps were on passing plays. So that's why you want to expand that more for Mixon and also for Gio. You'd like Gio to run the ball a little bit more so that it's not so plain to see what they're doing just by personnel. Yeah, and Gio is still above average in most ways as an NFL back. We'll talk about him in a second. Joe Mixon was excellent. He obviously led the AFC in rushing despite missing some time. And the AFC rushing picture is kind of a complicated thing to talk about. All the running backs out there that have missed time. Le'Veon Bell didn't play. Uh, John Connor missed time. We saw what happened with Kareem Hunt. We saw what happened. Uh, Nick Chubb didn't. If Nick Chubb would have started the year, yeah. he probably would have been up there also. So, but also Mixon dealt with injury. So it's it's a yeah. fair comparison. I just think it was a weird year, and everyone's going to use. Well, he led the AFC in rushing. Um, that doesn't mean much to me. Uh, to be honest with you, a lot of people have said that to me, and I'd yeah. say I'd rather him be the receiving leader as as a running back, you know, in the AFC, and then I'd be impressed. But he was he was 
regardless, a very productive runner of the football in the system last year. Five five yards per carry is pretty good, and he doesn't have the yards after contact numbers or the yep. broken tackle numbers that some of the yep. other guys in the league have because right now he's making guys miss by making their angles obsolete. Exactly. because he's, he's, he's deleting he, angles. Yep, he's too big and too fast. And I think when you see a guy like that in the open field and you want to go to tackle him, it's an instant reaction and natural reaction to say, well, you're judging someone's speed and size collectively and you're judging the angle and trying to and trying to meet him to an area to tackle him with Mixon he beats it almost every time because he doesn't look like he should be running that fast yeah he had 23 runs last year go for 15 or more yards which I think is like second yeah second behind Ezekiel Elliott in the NFL so despite him not breaking a bunch of tackles he ran he ran past guys if you get him to break some more tackles, though, and that we have a new running backs coach in, I mean, things can happen here. If you get him to break more tackles, and it's an issue with Geo, too. So it's been an issue for a while. It's an issue with Jeremy Hill also. It, mm-hmm. So it, if you can fix that, and, and you compare it to a guy from that same draft, a bunch of guys from that same draft like Kamara and Hunt, he is so far behind those guys in terms of broken tackles. You add that to Mixon's game, and you get someone that can probably carry this entire offense to places they haven't been before. As long as they don't coach him to seek out contact, because I don't think he's that kind of guy, but if he can just get a little bit more slippery. Yeah, there's a few times, right, where he's just got the safety to beat and it gets him. Or, you know, he gets up to the linebacker, just trips him up a little bit, and you can see the frustration on his face, but oh, it's yeah. like, man, you he runs so far forward, leaning forward with all that power and weight that one little trip of his foot sends him to the ground you know these guys that break tackles are more squatty more balanced than the lower half of their bodies and and having that balance to be able to shrug off tacklers and and keep uh making things move especially with lateral agility Mixon doesn't have that so I don't know if he'll ever be a high tackle breaking type of guy but if they can increase that some he will be special yeah so let's talk about Gio a little bit 27 years old 4.5 million dollar cap hit this year he is the third down back in their offense previously. You know, so as we said, how is that going to change? With Zach Taylor and you look at Todd Gurley and the Rams, Gurley carried the load. It really wasn't the backup getting the ball until Gurley got hurt in, in most of the last two seasons. Uh, so what kind of role is there for uh, Gio? And I, I think he's still one of the top playmakers on the roster. And that's with you know, they just brought back Eifert and they have three good receivers or potentially three good receivers and a star running back. Geo is still a guy that you can trust on third downs. That'll make a play happen. That'll give it his all and can protect Andy Dalton. And I think that's valuable. And, it, and we know that's valuable. So I still want to see him have a role on this offense. And we talked yesterday, I believe a little bit when we were talking about maybe Ross can get some punt returns. I'd love to see a Giovanni Bernard be able to get some punt returns. He's always practiced it in camp. He's always been like the third or fourth guy on the depth chart to do it, but he never gets that opportunity. If you look at him in college, he had some punt returns for touchdowns. He had some production at that spot. If you're looking to get the ball in his hands a little bit more and Erickson hasn't been a great punt returner, I'd love to see Gio get that opportunity. How do you feel about two back formations get geo and 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 mixing out there together at the same time you look how many teams have good backs at least two some have three good backs and they don't do it often and i wonder why that is you got to think okay who am i taking off the field in that scenario am i taking eifert and uzama off the field am i taking boyd or ross off the field and then it becomes debatable on whether or not that's worth it or a fair trade. Now, you may get some confusion with the defense in doing so, and the Bengals did it a handful of times last year. 
but you have to wonder if you're making yourself worse by taking off one of those players in, in favor of Bernard or Mixon running a route. Um, so I think you can do it and have some plays in your playbook, but I, I think sometimes the fans ask for it a little bit more than I think it's actually feasible. Didn't the Saints do it a fair amount? They did, and because they have Ingram and, and Kamara, and they're way more um, creative than most offenses in the league. Plus, they really only have Michael Thomas, and that's it. They didn't have to worry about taking anyone off the field. It was advantageous for them to put yeah. Kamara out there. And Kamara could run routes like a receiver. So if True. they start letting Mixon, and if you watch Mixon in Oklahoma, they'd split him out wide and run a slant with him on third and five, and he'd, he'd beat the corner. You These are things you can do with Mixon. I don't think Gio is a good route runner. Uh, and really doesn't catch well with his hands all the time. But Mixon has that potential to do that. And if they allow him to learn and run some routes, remember Le'Veon Bell, it was year two or three when he lost all his weight and really had his breakout year. There were videos of him in the offseason training with the receivers and running routes. Mm -hmm. I want to see that from Joe Mixon. If he does that same thing, then yeah, let's do it. Well, I can figure out ways to use him. But as of the, as they currently stand and the way they've been coached the last few years, it's not probably advantageous to, to substitute one of those receivers or tight ends for them. I was I was really imagining a a New Orleans style kind of thing. But you're right. It's it's not something that's in Zach Taylor's pedigree. It's just you have both the guys. They can both catch the ball. Gio with the ball in his hands is electric. Mixon yeah. Mixon did have he had 40 he had 39 38 snaps uh in, in a wider 38 snaps in a receiver oh. position. 17 in the slot, 21 out wide. Yeah, they would do that a lot empty the backfield and try and this was especially after um Eifert got hurt because it, it helps, obviously, declare the defense. We've talked about this before. If a running back or tight end splits out wide and a cornerback goes with him, well, then it's zone coverage because the corner's got his spot. If a linebacker or a safety goes with Joe Mixon, well, then it's man coverage. So it really helps you figure out what's going on. And every offense really, you watch the Patriots, they do it constantly with their receiver, with their running backs. So that is a good thing to do. Yeah. And the Patriots have had, you know, James White and before him. Kevin Falk. Who is the guy in the middle? Deion Lewis. Deion Lewis. That's Danny Woodhead. Yeah. So, uh, Gio, obviously, I think, still has a role to play. The depth guys, I don't know if Mark Walton is still going to be on the roster. He's had some problems with the law. He hasn't been terribly productive. He was. He might what, get a, suspended even if he's on the roster, right? You would he think. had two incidences this offseason? Yeah. He's, what, a third-round pick? Fourth. And they didn't like, like that pick. We did not. It's stupid to take a fourth-round running back that was coming off injury, didn't test well, and his greatest strength was probably special teams at that point. That's how they touted him up. Um, that was a waste of resources. Everyone had that. I think everyone had that as the worst pick um, of that draft class. And a lot of people's argument was that, well, if he was healthy, he would have tested much better, and he could have been maybe a second-round pick. And Okay, that's a lot of what ifs. I mean, that's how you end up taking the wrong guys at the wrong time. You mm -hmm. need to be healthy, number one. You need to test well, number two. We talk about checking the boxes for draft prospects. Well, that's two risks they took right off the bat at a position they didn't need to take, right? So, uh, yeah, that's that was an interesting pick. He had a poor preseason. He made maybe one or two nice plays during the regular season. The rest were just whatever. He doesn't need to be on the roster type stuff. And really, at this point, they need a third back or should be interested in, in spending a day three pick on a guy. Yeah, and the last guy on the roster is Quentin Flowers, quarterback in college. Yeah. Was on the practice squad all year. Was always going to be a developmental guy. Exactly. I was just going to say, from what I understand, the coaching staff really liked him last year. Uh, he's someone that 
I think Bill Lazor and uh, Kyle Kasky went down to the pro day, worked him out. Both were in agreement that, yes, we can uh, transition this guy to running back. Flowers was down with that and, and, and when talking with them and saying, you know, okay, well, this may be, we're, we're going to hopefully get you as an undrafted guy. We want to sit you on the practice squad for a year, really develop you into that. You see even in preseason, they really didn't let him do too much. Regular season, he was signed on the last week or two. But they really liked the future of him as a running back. Now, I don't know if that'll ever mean anything because they've liked a lot of guys that haven't developed. But that that at least means the last staff did have a high opinion of Clinton Flowers' potential in a year or two. And now we're a year later, and I'm interested to see what that means for him. Uh, he was an ele- He was an electric runner as a quarterback. Not really the high-end speed guy he ran in the four sixes, but the three-cone was really nice. Um, yeah, I'd like to see that potential there, but I'm not going to bank my third or fourth running back spot on him either. I think this team drafts another running back somewhere on day three. Yeah, and it's not like Quentin Flowers is the guy of this coaching staff either. They're probably not very familiar. I'm sure they have practice tape or whatever that they've been able to see, and they know his college tape, but... This isn't their guy, so I don't think there's necessarily a whole lot of investment there. So I agree with you. There's RB3 is a question. Yeah, it is, definitely. And even if it's Walton and he's on the roster, he was poor last year. And um, I would much prefer him as the fourth back, that special teams type guy. And maybe, uh, how how often do they keep four backs active on the roster, right? Right, so the third guy is a special teams guy. So that, that makes sense, too, so... At this point, as long as they keep Mixon and Geo and they're both healthy, they're probably fine, and those last couple spots are inconsequential to how their season develops. I just want an upside guy at RB3, just because sure. the one of the top two guys gets hurt most seasons. It's a, it's a punished position. And how often do we see these late-round picks or undrafted guys end up stepping in for a lot of times it's for the Ravens and Steelers right and then they beat us with them Always. but uh right so you want that opportunity to say you've got that kind of guy without spending the investment that the Bengals the Bengals have spent a lot of premium picks at running back under Marvin Lewis's era I mean going from Chris or Kenny Irons Chris Perry and then to uh second rounders with Hill and Geo and Mixon and even a fourth rounder to me feels expensive in Mark Walton, especially for the condition he was in. They have spent a lot to really have not much to show for it out of those positions, I'd say. I mean, they, they finally hit with, with Mixon. They hit with Bernard. They uh, Jeremy Hill, you know, he had the one year, but not, not great. Kenny Irons got hurt. Chris Perry got hurt. They've had yeah. some bad luck there, too. They have. But they've always had at least a decent running back back there. You know? That's true. And some of them, let me think of like Kenny Watson and, and Rudy Johnson, guys they didn't plan on being the guy, ended up doing it. Cedric Benson also. Yeah, Larry just, Johnson. They got a game out of Larry Johnson. Remember that? Oh, yeah, I do. You reminded me during our Marvin Lewis era mock. That's right. We it's still another, have to redraft everything, right? We do. It's another position like wide receiver that the Bengals invest in. They, they they have been investing in these skill offensive positions lately. I think they could stand to modernize a little bit at the running back. Unless it's like Saquon Barkley there in the second round. Just get your running backs evaluated in the draft. I think fourth round is fine. I just think Walton, you know, wasn't necessarily the right guy. And it depends on what else is going on in the draft. Well, they had an extremely high grade on Joe Mixon, so I understand why taking him in the second round, even for his off-the-field concerns, 
uh, which haven't haven't surfaced now in two years. You know, anything it's been the exact opposite with him. But uh, they, I think grade wise, they it, had everything been clean off the field, they would have considered him with the number nine pick where they took John Ross. So that's how high they thought of him. And I understand why you take a premium pick there at round two because the boomer bust rate on that was extremely high. Mm-hmm. So that'll do it for the running back position preview. We're going to spend some time talking about quarterbacks after a quick word from our sponsors. If you're looking for the most comprehensive NFL draft coverage this offseason, look no further than the Locked On NFL Scouting Podcast. Join the draft dudes, Kyle Krabs and Joe Marino, as they go position by position through the NFL free agent class and into the star-studded crop of college stars who will be selected in the 2024 NFL Draft. If you want to know who your favorite NFL team should be adding to its roster, you need to check out Locked On NFL Scouting. Available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Welcome back to the Locked On Bengals Podcast. Positional reviews continue, and I think concluding with this position. That's right. Unless unless we want to talk special teams, which I do not. Um, But it's quarterbacks. I think we did. Did we talk special teams? I think we did the specialists. We did do a specialist. We added them on to like safeties, I think. Yeah. <laughs> okay, so never mind. Quarterbacks. We're ending it with quarterbacks. And obviously the most important position, not only in football, maybe in sports, right? And uh, really, it's the heart of the conversation. And I think because it's so often the topic of fans and analysts and even the team, uh, the perception and viewpoint of what Andy Dalton is and isn't gets skewed and muddied a little bit because more than any other position, you're going to criticize the quarterback. More than any other position, you're going to analyze the quarterback on a play-to-play basis because it it's crucial to the success of not only each individual play but the overall game and the season. So we look at Dalton a lot. We point out his flaws a lot. We tear him down a lot because it's – meant to give you a level of expectation of where this team could be if they could fix or find somebody with different attributes or not the same flaws. Uh, But on the surface, I'm a big fan of Andy Dalton. He's got a great contract. He's going to be 32 years old this year. That's where the debate, in my opinion, is more about his future rather than his current play. Yeah, and and like you said, Andy Dalton is essentially a known quantity at this point. We started to question whether he had taken a step, and this is the most interesting part about Andy Dalton in his ability to make plays off script in the first four or five games of the season. Those weren't all great graded games if you're looking at pro football focus, but three of them were, and some of those were against really bad defenses like Atlanta and I think Tampa in there, but regardless, he took some steps and kept his eyes downfield and was making plays off script and dealing with pressure, I think, better than he had previously in his career. And the knock on Dalton has always been, he, he's on the Tom Brady spectrum. And what I mean by this is he is making decisions from his pre-snap reads. He's not as good at it as Tom Brady because nobody is. Tom Brady is right. a machine. In he terms and Peyton of his, Manning. Yeah. Just excellent, excellent pre-snap diagnostics. And you see Tom Brady occasionally make mistakes. You saw it in the Super Bowl when he threw an interception when the post-snap read is different from the pre-snap read. And this is more often 
an issue for Andy Dalton. We should talk about that, too. Before you go on, we should talk what we mean for the people that maybe don't understand pre-snap and post-snap read. Um, Just because it's big in the evaluation of Andy Dalton, right? He is really good reading pre-snap. And what I mean is, yes, what you may think of, depending on when you played football or watched football or really um, became a fan of football, you may think of quarterback playing as dropping back, scanning the entire field, and finding the open receiver, going through reads one, two, three even. Uh, before it was scanning the entire field, finding the open guy, and then it became, well, this progression, this receiver, number one, number two, number three, and then check down. It is now, and while those things are still part of the game, it has really evolved into you get to the line, you read the defense pre-snap. Now, you already have the, the play called, but based on the coverage, you know where you're going with the football, if you can read it correctly, if the receivers understand where it is. That's why a lot of times you'll see, and the Bengals' offense has been centered around this for since Andy Dalton's come in, you'll see when a play isn't there or it's not what they expect, it looks like the other receivers aren't finishing their routes or they're not um, you know, going as hard as they could be or not really good in scramble drills. It's because they are not expecting the ball to come to them. There was situations with John Ross even last year where he doesn't, he's like, oh, the ball shouldn't be coming to me here. I'm not running my route. And people get mad. But the Bengals' offense has been centered around this. And what I mean is quarterback comes to the line. He's going to read the safeties first. And there's more than that. It's personnel. It's alignment. It's how they're angled. The corners, the way they're angled can tell you the coverage. But the safeties, you're looking, you're reading between the hash marks. Is there one safety between the hash marks or is it split safeties? If it's one safety, it's a cover one or a cover three. If it's safety split, it's a cover two or cover four. Now you can look at other things to decide who's blitzing, who's coming, going, and to get to break it down even further of what you saw on tape for this defense. So based on a cover one or cover three, you want to throw to the boundary outside of, of, of the numbers. If it's a cover two or cover four, and cover four gets a little bit murkier, but cover two split safeties, you want to attack the middle of the field. Now what defenses want to do, because they're showing you this, is they want to switch it as soon as you snap the ball. So they're trying to time when you're going to snap the ball, and sometimes they give it away a little bit early. But that's your pre-snap read, and now your post-snap read is the quarterback is what he's going to do is, okay, say he goes, I think it's a cover two defense here. I'm going to attack middle of the field open. I want it my tight end on the seam route or maybe a check down to the, to the running back. He takes the snap. He is, again, now going to locate those safeties. If the safety's rotated now, one guy comes down into the box, one guy rotates to the middle of the field. Now it's a cover one or cover three, but middle of the field is now closed. So you cannot go to that tight end. You quickly adjust, go to that receiver that's running the out route or or the or the whatever he is on the outside there or the hitch route, and you, you hit him. So that's how you pre-snap, post-snap read and get through it, and that's why the ball comes out in two seconds flat a, a lot of times for these good reading quarterbacks, and Andy Dalton is one of them. He struggles with the post snap. When he gets something he doesn't expect, he doesn't adjust well, and that's when he makes mistakes. And a, l- a large number of his, of his mistakes come on that when a defense is showing blitz or drops someone out or doesn't show blitz and then blitz or rotate their coverage on the back end. That's when you trick Andy Dalton and this receiving group because they've been so programmed to, to do this. Uh, and this isn't every play, but it's a, it's a majority of the Bengals' offense the past eight years. Uh, that is that is where we see our weaknesses. So that's when Jake was saying he got much better off script because when things happen and you don't expect it, now it's, okay, I can't go to that guy. I've got to go to my second, third read. Oh, is that guy open? You actually have to use your eyes afterwards and not just your timing. 
and that's when Dalton broke down when things got off script and he would normally throw it away on fourth down. We saw that a bunch, take a bad sack when it wasn't necessary, run in to uh, alignment or, or pressure or run when it's not necessary. Instead, last year, the first, what, six games, would you say, Jake or so? He really took another step there, and I credited Alex Van Pelt, the quarterback's coach, for really helping him get to that level. And, and yeah, I think Van Pelt is who we all point to and say, well, Aaron Rodgers certainly can do it, and he's coming from coaching Aaron Rodgers for most of Aaron Rodgers' career, if not all of Aaron Rodgers' career. So, yeah, I mean, we, we definitely credit Alex Van Pelt with credit for that, and with three quarterback coaches in the room, you hope that Andy Dalton can continue to learn because he he showed – signs of progress in an area we were asking for like in an area of weakness to his game yep. for the first time in his career he's, yeah he, and and this isn't to say he's never made plays off script right like he'll right he'll he'll get flushed out of the pocket and most of the time that ball is going into the stands at that point but there's like a play to geo bernard against miami a few years ago that was outstanding and like this year again miami the the i think it was miami the the heave to Mixon, right and it's funny because it's a criticism I've had of him of a long time. And when you saw the difference in his in his film and people that have followed me and read my stuff for a long time uh, were telling me on Twitter, man, I can really tell the difference now. Before I thought you're nitpicking, but now I see it clearly that there's there's a complete difference in this offense when he can make plays off script. And it, it helps that in the same year, the MVP of the league, Pat Mahomes, was a god off script so it really gave you an idea of oh this is what you meant and that is an area i'd love to see dalton continue to grow in and if he does you feel a lot better about him because and i i've I've said before with james rapine when i was on he's a robot quarterback because within the system within the program he's pretty much perfect and it's when things get where he doesn't have that algorithm in his brain to to figure it out to to go off script and and make a play uh where he struggles and I will say, too, also working working with Van Pelt and having three quarterback coaches in the room, that's a positive thing. That's something we definitely want. That's how you get the most out of your quarterback. We've seen around the league in a lot of ways. But you revert back, and this is what happened last year, even after six weeks or so, and injuries started happening, so it, didn't, it wasn't as easy for Dalton, yes. But that's when you usually see these guys revert back to their throwing motions. Let's say like Tim Tebow is working on a different throwing motion, and he goes and tries to do it all offseason. It works for a few weeks and starts to break down over time. Blake Bortles was working with Jordan Palmer, really working on his stance and his balance so he would be more accurate. It only works for a few weeks, and then it starts to break down. It takes years to really do this, especially late in your career. You really have to commit and continue to work on it and continue to coach on it. And you hear all the time of um, current and former players and coaches with the new CBA, you don't get the practice time Mm -hmm. to work on that trait or that ability or that skill you're working on x's and o's and implementing the new game plan for the for the following week so that's why that stuff starts to break down over time and that's why you want to find a guy that can do it naturally rather than have to program it into himself into the into his 30s in his career but i mean it you're right that it takes time but andy dalton has gotten better at certain things over the course of his career he's improved his arm strength he's improved his his throwing mechanics working with tom house Yep. He has shown the commitment to get better, and you admire that in Andy Dalton. And the other thing I wanted to point out is a lot of quarterbacks around the NFL have issues post-snap. It's just that's what separates Andy Dalton from being elite, essentially. Like He's had yep. years when he's been very, very good. 2015, when everybody was healthy on that offense, he was, a, he was very good. 
He it's because playing. you can't take away a target. You, you know, when you if you want to try and rotate to a different defense, that's fine. Oh, you're making me force a throw to Mohamed Sanu or Marvin Jones. Great. Oh, you're forcing me to throw to Tyler Eifert. Great. You know, then when you have those weapons, and that's why they always you always hear everyone, even the Bengals say we want to surround Andy Dalton with weapons, and that's not a that's not a direct knock because Andy Dalton supporters will say everyone needs weapons. Yes. But when you are reliant on everyone being in the right spot at the right time versus the right coverage and the defense not being able to take away A.J. Green or Tyler Eifert, having weapons that are going to win one-on-one is crucial for Andy Dalton's success to throw to somebody he trusts that's in the right area and that can make a play. And that's why it is important and why the Bengals have committed to making sure the weapons are top-notch on this roster. Yeah. And the other knock, I think, on Andy Dalton, not, and we're trying, I'm trying very, very hard here to be balanced on Andy Dalton. He does a lot of things very, very well. And he, I think, if you were to put him in like a Bill Belichick system from day one of his career, I think he could potentially have a Tom Brady-like trajectory to his career because of that institutional knowledge and just working with that level of coaching. I think you know what something... would be the biggest difference? What's that? Pocket management and maneuverability. Right, and that's where I was going to go. There's there's pocket management is the other thing that I think Dalton took a step in last year, but we still need to see. And I think ball placement. Sure. Tom Brady's ball placement is ridiculous. Yeah. It's why he's the best check down thrower of all time, and that's not a knock on Tom Brady. He allows these guys to run after the catch. The timing, the ball placement and and reading the defense correctly allows these running backs and tight ends and, and slot receivers to gain massive yardage after the catch. Whereas when you look at Andy Dalton and the timing can be off by a split second or the ball placement off by uh you know a uh, half a foot, Giovanni Bernard's getting killed in the flat by that corner and. This happens all the time, and it's a reason why Mixon catches his pass and has nowhere to run, or why the slot guy sometimes is catching it and getting blown up. There are it's fine differences, but it's a big difference in the effectiveness of a of an offense that's trying to stay on time. So there are those reasons that we have hope for Andy Dalton. We want to see those next steps for him. Can he continue to take steps in working in a messy pocket? operating off script, adjusting when the post-snap look has tricked him. And he won't be perfect. Every NFL QB gets tricked from time to time. That's why interceptions happen. You've never seen a quarterback go 50 touchdowns, zero interceptions. They all get they all get mixed up at points, but we're just looking for those continued steps. And if he can make those continued steps, then maybe we're not talking about Kyler Murray the way I want to talk about Kyler Murray. And I was just going to say, and why we need him to be able to be better in a muddy pocket or with pressure is because they committed to Bobby Hart. I mean, it's not that, oh, this would be nice if every quarterback can do it. They are now putting him in a situation where he has to do it. Yeah, probably. Unless More than likely. (laughs) You know, Jim Turner, man, great offensive line coach, good friends with Zach Taylor. That'll do it. So we're going to talk, uh, Jeff Driscoll will we'll quickly, I think, talk about backup quarterback. There are like six teams with backup quarterbacks in the NFL where you say, okay, yeah, maybe they can make a run in the postseason with that backup quarterback. And I think that's like Tyrod Taylor. I think it might be Teddy Bridgewater. It was Nick Foles. He's now a starter. It was Case Keenum. He's now a starter. So Fitzpatrick, Glennon, maybe. Fitzpatrick now a starter, maybe Mike Glennon, but I don't trust Mike Glennon in the playoffs. He's Joe, never done anything. Joe Flacco, who will be a backup 
sooner than later probably uh, is a guy that you could point to and say, he won a Super Bowl, so sure, he could be a backup that that can make a run too. But mostly backups in the NFL, if your quarterback goes down in the playoffs or for an extended period of time, your season's done. You're fucked. That's Yeah, I mean, there's, there's not really much reason to me to talk about and it's it's so rare that a guy develops as a backup quarterback unless he's drafted, you know, top two rounds, comes out after year one. I mean, yeah, sure. Say Dak Prescott, he started year one, I think. Say Tom yeah. Brady, super high exceptions of the rule. So we're not even going to spend much time talking. About, uh, Jeff Driscoll wasn't great. He is an athlete. He is not the best processor post or pre-snap. Right. The offense didn't work very well with Jeff Driscoll at quarterback. There's not many positives though i thought he had some moments when he first entered the the game when when dalton got hurt he threw a really nice strike to tyler boyd for a touchdown on the same play that dalton pulled it down because he he one up yeah one other thing is dalton is not aggressive in testing tight windows because he's never been a an elite arm strength or ball placement guy so so there's some throws he won't make uh but driscoll had no fear in the first couple games and he was throwing it and, and testing it. And he got his receiver lit up a few times, but also he made some pretty impressive tight window throws. I just think he got coached out of it and neutered and, and we saw a, you know, a bad quarterback for the rest of the year. And because of it, everyone else, uh, had issues and looked worse. And that's also a great point of someone may ask, why do coaches, why would coaches love Dalton? Why would coaches – I mean, every coach talks highly of him. And it's because he gives you a very easy evaluation and a baseline skill set. Like, it look comparison directly to um, to Jeff Driscoll where you don't know what he's going to do. If he can run your offense on any given play, he may make your right tackle look worse because he's not even uh, – he's holding the ball too long or not getting rid of it, and it's supposed to be a short set for the offensive line. Dalton won't do that, and you can accurately evaluate everybody else on the offense. So – just to compare and contrast with Driscoll, I think they're looking for backup quarterback. I wouldn't be surprised if they draft one because they haven't attacked it so far in free agency. And, and let's talk about the draft because increasingly, I think national chatter is starting to pick up on the fact that, like, why are we talking about the Bengals and drafting a quarterback in the first round? I mean, they're picking 11, so it's not a prime spot to pick a quarterback most years unless you're Patrick Mahomes. Right. So or Watson. Sure. Uh, generally speaking, you're looking at the top five teams when you're talking about guys picking a quarterback or or teams that are going to trade up into the top five again to pick a quarterback. Now people are sort of looking at it and saying, here's a new coach in Cincinnati. Andy Dalton's deal has no guaranteed money left. There's no dead cap hit. Why aren't we talking more about the Bengals drafting a quarterback? And to some people's credit, there have been those out there that have drafted, mocked, you know, uh, Dwayne Haskins to the Bengals. I think most people at this point would say Kyler Murray is going to be gone, but we've done it. The reason I've, yeah. And the reason I've talked about Kyler Murray so much is because I think, you know, the same skill set as Patrick Mahomes, the, yeah. he, he's a crazy good athlete. He could, I mean, on tape, we don't have his numbers, right? But he, he ran by people. He can throw from, crazy platforms that baseball throwing experience that he's got throwing you know sidearm whatever it is different arm angles different foot positions and he's accurate and he can manage a pocket and he can keep his eyes downfield when things break down he's even better and he's got a crazy strong arm yeah he's good that's why i'm talking about kyler murray height aside he's got everything like if he was six foot if he was baker mayfield size i think 
I think probably you get evals much stronger than Baker Mayfield, like pretty unanimously, right? And the, and the evals on Baker weren't that weren't that great, you know, because people had concerns well, with him at height also. And even though he was six ask. foot, but if you think of Russell Wilson, if you read my favorite, uh, I had draft crushes that year, and I put at quarterback Russell Wilson. My first line said, if he was six foot, he'd be a first round pick. And I think teams have learned from that and said, listen, if the guy is good. Yes, I know he's an outlier. We don't want to draft an outlier if possible. But at the quarterback position, we draft a lot of weird prospects very highly in the NFL. So uh, he's got everything else. Even though he's one year starter on the field, he's got everything you need. I think he's still going to go top five, if not number one for Kyler Murray. And I think the question for the Bengals is, is are any of these other guys a franchise quarterback because you don't have to take one if you don't if there isn't one there and then quarterback's different i was on reddit the other day and people are talking about drafting a quarterback and a lot of the comments were well if he's the best player available yeah i'll do it over devin white or yada yada and the quarterback is never the best player available honestly he's probably on a separate board of do we think this guy's a franchise guy do we think this guy's a backup and do we think this guy's a developmental prospect if not they're not even on the board and they're not even in, in consideration then the franchise guys if he's if there's one there you draft him yeah. <laughs> because you you have a quarterback over 30 you have him on a on a veteran contract even though he's the cheapest veteran or, or second cheapest behind Matt Ryan this year in terms of cap hit it's still much more expensive than what you would spend on the 11th pick at quarterback so the Bengals are in position to draft a quarterback they if you're being honest and or hopeful you don't expect to draft top 12, and now they have three years in a row. If they w- think they're going in the right direction, if you're an optimist thinking the Bengals will go in the right direction under Zach Taylor, you don't expect them to pick top 12. Again, you need to seize this opportunity if it presents itself. Yeah, and and that's the thing, right? Like, if Andy Dalton is your quarterback and your team stays reasonably healthy, even if they don't stay reasonably healthy, there's – a very good chance this team wins, you know, six to eight games. If and, Dalton and, stayed healthy last year and everyone else still got hurt, they win half of those games probably to yeah. finish the year. Yeah, I think saying that the Bengals could go eight and eight by accident without even really trying to with the with the players on the team, because there are a lot of good players on the team. There is a, a lot of historical success on the team with a lot of the veterans and some of the young guys are stepping up and they're playing well. So, yeah, you can see them, especially with a, a fourth-place schedule, right? Mm-hmm. You can see them going out there and, and winning six to eight games. Easily. Um, yeah, and that's without getting better in the draft, right? Right. If things go really well, then they're in the playoffs, right? And that's, that's I'm sure, Zach Taylor's hope. But, yeah, like the odds of them picking top ten – Next year, sure, they exist as much as any other NFL team because of injuries and stuff, but like they're not tanking like Miami's tanking. They're not. They definitely aren't now. And what we've uh, thrown that out there is a scenario to question if they are tanking, and if they are, they're not doing it correctly. So um, that would be a different criticism for a different time. But I think the Bengals, are, if anything, are securing their position so that they are in position to draft whatever they want at 11, and that could be quarterback. And we get nervous because there's no slam dunk prospect in this draft. But as recent re- rumors are that, well, maybe Dwayne Haskins could slip a little bit and be there at 11. I think Haskins would fit this offense perfectly. Now, I don't love Haskins as a prospect, but there's a lot of reasons why he should definitely be a top 15 pick. And if the Bengals feel, 
I mean, he's no different, in my opinion, than Deshaun Watson. I think he's very similar. I don't think he's the same athlete. I just mean caliber of prospect to Deshaun Watson and similarly how I felt about Watson, where there were some issues in his game. I didn't love him, but I thought he's definitely worth a first-round pick and worth a gamble. Uh, So that could definitely propel this team to a new height and a new direction if they decided to go there because you're going to spend half the money you are on Dalton, if not even less than that, to be honest with you. And it would reset this window for this franchise. And I think they're open to that idea. The last point is normally with a new coach, you get a lot of roster turnover and you get a new quarterback within a year or two. Yep. That's, that's a big one. I mean, looking around the league, most coaches bring in new quarterbacks when they take over teams or there's a young guy, maybe like a Jared Goff, right? Like, yeah, that situation where they're and even in those cases, though, like you see a lot of teams move on from early picked QB Cliff Kingsbury and Josh Rosen. We're seeing yeah. it right now. So yeah. th- these guys usually want their guy. You don't want to be you don't want your career to be hinged on someone you didn't pick. Now, maybe you really like that guy and it works. Uh, maybe McVay really liked Goff anyway, so he believed he could fix him. And actually, fixing Goff probably propelled him to a height that people didn't believe he was even you know, going well, into that and, Rams job. And I think another thing with McVay is I think he kind of realized, I've got a guy on a rookie deal who can run my offense, and I'm going to build around him because I have a ton of money to play with. Right, and they continue to do that. And, and even this year now, they're continuing to load up that roster because that's that's the idea that Jake and I are in agreement with. Most analysts, most people that look at cap management, most people that look at if you don't have Breeze or Brady or Rodgers, you need to do it this way. You need to get a guy in a young deal on a, a rookie contract that you believe in that, that can take you to the next level. And then for that three to four years, depending on when you actually decide to start him, you load up and you maximize the cap. And if that means you burn it down in five years, that's what happens. But you try to win in that open window. And if you look at the teams that have won or made runs without an elite quarterback, that's exactly what they did. Yeah, and I think where this gets hard for fans is you think about that like sixth year when everything goes to shit and you're like, oh, I don't I don't like that. I want to stay attached to my quarterback. I want to bring him back. We just went to, we just went to the AFC Championship game or the Super Bowl and we lost, but let's keep everybody together and do it again. And then there's just not enough money to keep all those players. Right. And so if you're going to spend 10 to 12 to 15 more on that same quarterback, you are going to have to drop off two positions on that roster that you feel very, very good about. Yeah. And it's probably more than that going forward. Right. Like it's probably like 18 more million dollars on a quarterback. If you've been to a super bowl Mm -hmm. and then you're losing a couple of your other stars. And then, so what, what, unless, so here's, here's the, here's the idea, right? Like you draft a quarterback every five years or until you hit one, right? So you keep drafting quarterbacks until you hit one that is reasonably good, right? And then you have like that five-year window and you try to build the team up as much as you can in that five-year window. All the while you're drafting guys that are going to be able to contribute to the roster, right? You're not just drafting one player a year. You, 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 you go for your five-year window, you hit it great. If you hit a Tom Brady, even better, then you then you lock up Tom Brady for his career. But let's say you hit, and I don't know what Jared Goff's career is going to be, but let's say it's it's Jared Goff, and he's never going to be better than he was last year. He's good enough to get you to the Super Bowl, probably good enough to win you a Super Bowl. 
not going to be the guy that probably elevates a team that doesn't have a bunch of money to spend around him. Exactly. Is he good enough if you're paying him $25 million? He made His cap hit was $6 million last year. If you got to give him $20 more million, is he good enough without Ndamukong Sue, without Marcus Peters, without Robert Woods, without Andrew Whitworth? You right. know, is he, is he good enough to overcome that? And this is the thing, the scenario you talked about is what we felt with Dalton. Five straight playoffs. Sign him. A lot of people felt that way. Sign him. You've got to. Where I was in 2014 of... I think we should draft one this year to hopefully keep this thing going and, you know, keep this, keep Andrew Whitworth, Kevin Zeitler, Muhammad Sanu, Marvin Jones. Yeah. That was my mindset of, of, of at that time. They could have drafted Derek Carr and probably have been in a better trajectory for 16, 17, 18. Uh, even though Carr and Dalton are probably the same guy, it wasn't until you need a new deal for Carr that really screwed up the Raiders, you know, because they had decent success. Until then, they built a really good offensive line with a bunch of free agents and paid them all. My point being is the Bengals are on on that cusp again of needing to make that decision. With two years left on Andy Dalton's deal, he'll be 32 years old this year. They have to decide, can we hit the reset button, even if the guy is decently comparable, and it may be like a Daniel Jones, which not a lot of people love out of Duke. Is he comparable to Dalton at a fraction of the price? Because if you believe that, even then, it's worth discussing and considering. And and then the last question is, if they do find a guy that can carry them for five years, like another Andy Dalton, for example, who's not Tom Brady, but he's good enough to get you into the playoffs, and if you have the team around him like 2015, good enough to win in the playoffs, then do you spend that money around them, and how do you spend the money around them? And do the Bengals, who only spend money on their own free agents, actually spend that money around them. There's an article I retweeted last week about why it was using some win over replacement type metric for free agents that said teams that spend on their own free agents actually overspend more than teams that spend on unrestricted free agents. So the question is that the Bengals do get that quarterback and let's say it's Daniel Jones, for example, in the second round this year, you know, just, just in a hypothetical do they go and spend that $16 million, $17 million coming up in the future on other positions to make the team better? And I think they do to some extent, but I, I don't think they're doing it. You know, they don't have the track record of, of building through free agency the way that some of these other teams that have had recent success with young quarterbacks have. Yeah, because it's it's not feasible to nail three or four draft picks It'd probably be three. Let's think of this honestly. Say you draft a new quarterback this year, even though they've had um, probably two, maybe three good drafts in a row now. It wouldn't be feasible to continue that trend. Uh, you're going to miss a draft. You're going to have a 2014 and a 2015. It's going to happen. It, you can't just continue to, to knock out your draft picks. And because of that, you cannot build an entire team around the draft because that window, may, like we said, is only three or four years. So you need to nail those draft classes in a row in that window. We're talking about extreme chances, and the Bengals almost did that <laughs> from 11 to 15, and 14 started it started the crumble. But they almost did that, and because of it, they got really close. But you could see that they needed that push over the top, and they need to participate in free agency. And I get to, to the same question you do is, would they ever maximize this roster around a rookie quarterback on a rookie contract, and when I say rookie, I just mean the life of the contract, um, would they maximize this roster? And a lot of people would probably say, no, they wouldn't. But also, while that's depressing, I would say, well, then that makes me want to draft a quarterback even more, not in the hopes of getting a guy that i got to build around completely, 
but in the hopes of you get lucky and you drafted Patrick Mahomes that transcends your entire franchise in the same way Peyton Manning and Andrew Luck do for the Colts that are a terrible franchise, terribly owned, don't know what they're doing when it comes to, comes to draft and free agency most of the time, but they get a quarterback that gives them an opportunity to actually compete. Don't let Colts fans hear that lately. They're going to say, we got Marcus Hunt. They've done well in free agency and, and getting unnamed guys. We talked about this, I think, on the podcast. So the Colts yeah. have done well recently, but it's because they've got a good GM. The Bengals aren't going out and getting a GM anytime soon, are they? Duke Tobin is a GM, Joe. Is he good? Duke, Duke Tobin is a GM, Joe. You're right. So I think this has been a pretty interesting conversation on both positions. That is our philosophy, I think, on the quarterback position, right? Is There's a five-year cycle unless you hit the elite of the elite. And then it's taking a couple of years. Maybe you have a couple bad years, but you're not clinging to mediocrity or purgatory or whatever you want to call it. The place the Bengals have been for the last three years yeah. trying to build around the last core that did something when you had all this extra money to spend. Because you're going to end up with bad years anyways with that, with that we ended up with three bad years in a row now and we tried to keep it well, together. So but I think, I think, yeah. So after that window is when you end up with these, these right. bad years that really 11 keep to 15 you in was the window, yeah. right? Right. Maybe 12, because you're not going to win it with a rookie quarterback. Right. So 12 to 15 was the window. They should have hit the reset. They didn't, and they still ended up resetting. So the point is, you're going to end up there. It's 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 probably hard to uh, to maintain that, that little dinghy boat afloat for a long time with inflated salaries. Yeah, so, so tweet at us when we've forgotten the exceptions to this rule, because I'm sure there are some. Always. You know, there's always some, right? But this is a general philosophy that if you apply it well, I think works in the NFL. Yeah, and if you miss like any time, it's an unpredictable sport. That's why we love it. Even even the planning is unpredictable. Yeah. So there's going to be outliers, and there's going to be times where you're like, yeah, we didn't try to draft this quarterback in the third round or fourth round. We got Dak Prescott. I guess we have a new life in, in, on our team. And so th- unpredictable things happen. Outliers happen. You just have to be open to allowing them to happen, and the Bengals haven't. And other times you miss on quarterback, and that happens too, and it's something sure. you need to be prepared for if this and is your okay plan. With. And okay with. And you need to keep running the organization well. You need to be consistent elsewhere and not be the Browns. Sure. And the Browns and Bills are are what people will use, especially the Browns because they're in the same state. But they'll say, well, look how long they kept missing on quarterback. Is that worth it? Do we want to do that? Do we want to go through that? Well, yeah, we know what that's like from the 90s being Bengals fans. But – you don't stop drafting them. You may take a year or two to lie down, bleed a little bit, and get up and draft a quarterback again because that's how you win. That's how you have to do it. So when we say this, there's no sure thing. You may draft a bust, and it may blow up in your face, and you got to restart. But is that any worse than what we've watched the last three years anyway? Yeah. No. Right? It's it's at least when you have a bust, you have another chance, right? You're not stuck. That at bust six to will eight give you wins. the top pick. Yeah, right. you'll get the exactly. top two or three pick, and that's will allow you to get that guy that we are never in position to get. And the fact that Cleveland was so bad for so long isn't. I mean, that's the Browns, man. They 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 were poorly run for so long, and and now now obviously they finally have. Uh, you know their their plan has come together. And one last point, my final point, I promise. The Bengals have gotten good quarterback play since 2003, whether it was John Kitna 
Carson Palmer, all the way to um, Bruce Gradkowski, Ryan Fitzpatrick, A.J. McCarron, and Andy Dalton, obviously. So those backups were even decent. But they've found good quarterbacks for a long time. We should have actually the opposite outlook at it, that we're not going to draft a bust. You're going to draft a guy that's going to be decently successful. You should feel this organization at least has a good idea. Duke Tobin has a good idea and what he wants in a quarterback, and you're going to get decent level play out of it. We should expect that at this point. Yeah. So that has been this episode of the Lockdown Bengals podcast. We went a little bit long today because we had very interesting and exciting things to talk about at the running back and quarterback positions. What do you mean that's my opinion? Well, I don't know if anyone will. We'll see if people agree. Give us your feedback. We like when you guys either tell us we're stupid or that it was good. Everybody loves us. And we're always right. Anyway, <laughs> tomorrow is the mailbag. We'll get a Twitter post up on the Lockdown Bengals account for you to send us our uh, send us your questions. If you have cap related questions, get those into us as well. We should have a, a cap expert with us tomorrow. The best cap expert in Bengals fandom. I'm sure you all know who it is, and I hope that we are able to get him on. I think it should work out. That's been the Locked On Bengals podcast. Have a good one, Bengals fans. Is your team eliminated from the playoffs and in need of reinforcements? Maybe it's time for a rebuild, or maybe they're just a player or two away from taking home the Lombardi Trophy. Either way, join Keith Sanchez and Damian Parson for Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast. They'll tell you which college football stars your team will be taking in the 2024 NFL Draft. Check out Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. If you're looking for the most comprehensive NFL Draft coverage this offseason, look no further than the Locked On NFL Scouting Podcast. Join the draft dudes, Kyle Krabs and Joe Marino, as they go position by position through the NFL free agent class and into the star-studded crop of college stars who will be selected in the 2024 NFL Draft. If you want to know who your favorite NFL team should be adding to its roster, you need to check out Locked On NFL Scouting. Available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team, every day.